Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Getting the exposure to grow your small wedding business can be difficult. With millions of engaged couples using The Knot to plan their weddings and find vendors, advertising on our sites will connect you with more couples than anywhere else online. Meet engaged couples where they're already searching for vendors like you. And let us deliver leads to help you grow your business. Visit vendors.thenot.com slash podcast to sign up today. Mention code PODCAST15 during your free onboarding session for 15% off your first month. If you want legendary service, if you, you want, want sweeter discounts, discounts travel in with insurance, see what it's all about, switch to insurance. Get a quote and save by bundling auto and home with insurance. You know, the executives would just get drunk and make trades in the bar. <laughs> uh, it's a simpler time. He was not going to sign back because they, the Blue Jays did not sign pitchers to three-year deals. Whose fault was that, Josh? Yeah, so they got Aviles for... The manager. John Farrell. <laughs> the manager. What a weird trade. And welcome to episode number 170 of Artificial Turf Wars, uh, where we weren't planning on going anywhere for the next few months anyway. I mean, I wasn't. Maybe other people were. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the wondrous Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How about you? I'm good. I'm still healthy, as far as I know. So in, in these trying times, that's the most important thing. Yeah, well, I, I happen to agree with you that uh, you know as long as as long as everyone keeps going, that's that's the best one, and chops, and keeps other people going too. Yeah, so all the best to you out there in uh, podcast land. Uh, we don't have any baseball once again to talk about uh, in the present sense, uh, so we're going to continue our look back into different aspects of the Toronto Blue Jays history. And we thought uh, we flipped a coin, and we have another topic for next week already because that's what was on the other side of the coin. Flipped a coin, and we <laughs> came up with uh, trades that the Blue Jays have been involved in, both the significant and the, well, disastrous, quite frankly. Uh, obviously, 43 years of, of franchise history. There's a lot that we're going to miss, but there's also a lot of uh, little highlights that maybe people have forgotten about. So we're going to kind of buzz right through the formative years of the franchise, uh, the 1977 to 81 period, where it, none of the trades they might have even done would have had any impact. Going to get to something where you might recognize a name in the trade, even today, and uh, that would be on the 9th of December, 1982. Tell us what happened in Toronto Blue Jays history on that date, Josh. Well, before I do that, just quickly, it's like this coin you're flipping. We're going to auction it off at the end when we finish this podcast eventually, years down the road. With one side has trades, the other side has something else on it. It's a very special coin. <laughs> it is. <It's, laughs> yeah, I made it special. I got my glue stick out and everything, but you'll see. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> trade that happened on December 9th, 1982. The first real big one that the Jays made, they made a bunch of smaller ones, as you sort of alluded to, that didn't really have much of an impact. Uh, so they traded to the Yankees, D. 
Dale Murray, who probably doesn't ring many, too many names for people, and Tom Dodd. The guys that got back, kind of important. Dave Collins, who ended up being a single-season stolen base record holder for the Blue Jays with 60. Matt Morgan and a guy named Fred McGriff, who... Some prospect. Yeah, some prospect. <laughs> the Yankees probably really regret giving up. It's really funny, too, because this trade could not have worked out worse for New York. Murray went over there and was bad in relief for a couple of years before going away. And then Dodd never like – he was released in 1983. Like he, they just – they got nothing out of that. And it's funny that Dodd was sent to the Jays in a trade for John Mayberry before that. So the Yankees tried to get him back and gave up a ton to get him. So these were the, that was the era, though, when the, the Yankees were um, still making George Steinbrenner-style mistakes. Um, you know, in terms of where they spent their money. Not that there wasn't a lot of money to spend at the time, but yeah, um, they'd come off what the nineteen eighty one playoffs, um, eighty or eighty one with with Dave Winfield's big contract and everything else. But the, the Yankees weren't the powerhouse that they were today. I think they were in their you know starting to dip into their nineteen eighties swoon. So yeah, nice to know that they got one over on the Yankees because I feel like that hasn't happened much. Yeah, I mean, so the Yankees were they were coming off a mediocre season, and they actually had a pretty good year in 1983, but not because of these moves they made. And it's and it's funny too. So like we're talking about there wasn't a lot, a lot of big moves early on in the se- in the Blue Jays franchise that led to success. Now, obviously, Fred McGriff was not a part of that early playoff season playoff team because he was too young. But Dave Collins, who was great in 1983. Or was it 1984? Dave Collins, when he set the the club record, I think it was 1984. They traded him for Bill Cottle, who then became one of their closers until Tom Henke emerged. So, I mean, it was like that trade worked out just fantastically for Blue Jays. (laughs) But this is the the days of Pat Gillick, and he did not take a lesson away from that, that that trading was the way to make the club better. Um, because we do not have a lot of, of other recognizable names, you know, either from other teams or to the Blue Jays in, in that period that, that led up to what is still the winningest Blue Jays team of all time, which is the 1985 team. Yeah, it's really interesting. So <laughs> in 1985, obviously the Blue Jays made that strong push and then they won 99 games and won the division. The only moves they really made were trading for a 38-year-old Al Oliver who, you know, he had had a ton of success early parts of his career. But that was this final year in the bigs. And for Cliff Johnson who ended up being their regular designated hitter but was 37. So, you know, it was two guys who didn't really do much at all for them in the regular season. Neither of them had an OPS over 700. And that was it. That, those were the moves that they made. It was sort of this like old school, add the veteran to the lineup and not really do anything else kind of thinking. I think that was a prevalent thing in baseball. At, like the idea that players peaked early in their you know their early twenties, um, and then really just had had a declining period after that was was not well known at that point. I think we sometimes sort of forget that when we look back. Um, at some of these trades that that was conventional wisdom was you need a veteran to shore your team up now not necessarily a 38 year old or 37 year old veteran but the idea of a veteran leadership and experience being more valuable than this like i mean wins above replacement did not exist in 1985 um so i you know i think you could you could fault the jays for maybe going all in on that but if you looked around the league i think you'd find some similar deals and, you know, like Oliver drove in the game-winning run in that game two of the LCS. It was a great game, the one that they won. And we've done that when we did our Patreon episode of Great Comebacks. That was one of them. But, yeah, I mean, it was – but you're right. It was a, a way of thinking. And they repeated it again in 1987 when they traded for a 48-year-old Phil Necro who hadn't been good in three years. And it was his last year in the bigs. Which, you know, like, I don't really get that one at all. He actually <laughs> no. hindered he hindered their ability to make the postseason. <laughs> the, the ageless knuckleballer is, is not a, uh, a good trope uh, to follow along with at that point. No, he gave up 11 runs in 12 innings for those Blue Jays. Woof. Yeah. And then they also traded for Mike Flanagan, who, at least with Flanagan, 
he was a bit younger and still on the you know on the fringes of success and then they had him for another year where he was quite useful so that trade actually worked out well but it's still the same kind of thing a 36 year old and a 48 year old who are not difference makers right and then in between those two seasons quickly um the blue jays did have an interesting i would say at the time it would have been uh, a shocking trade is to trade away doyle alexander who had a quite a, a run of success with the blue jays for Dwayne ward who i can only assume was nobody at the time yeah so you know the 1986 blue jays were you know they were a disappointment right you know coming off the incredible season that they had they did you know people expected them to do something similar and then and they just didn't so mm-hmm. Dole alexander was a pending free agent his contract with the jays was coming up and so they shipped him out for a reliever who you know ward came over he was he was a rookie and he wasn't great in 1987 either but after that he became you know one of the best relievers in blue jays history yeah i mean that's the thing i think with relievers especially is is you're you know you're never sure what you're going to get but but sometimes it's it's uh you know you throw hard enough it's quite magical yeah and now just in, if we're talking about like impact trades too right 1992 and 1993 were his two best seasons in the big leagues and they were kind of important for the blue jays <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and he was done after 1993, essentially, wasn't he? Yeah, he blew out his arm in early in 1994, and then never really came back. By the way, a little sidebar: Doyle Alexander was traded for Dwayne Ward in '86, and then John Smoltz in '87. <laughs> uh, Doyle Alexander has a lot to be proud of in that sense, I guess that that he was valued that highly at some point, twice. Yeah. Tigers are probably kicking themselves over that last one, even though no, that got them past the Blue Jays because Joel Alexander was amazing for them in 1987. But they did not win the World Series, and they lost John Smoltz. Wild. Okay, so before we get into uh, the Blue Jays attempting, you know, for for real to get past that first round of the playoffs by trading their way into it, uh, we have one other name that will factor into the World Series, which is Juan Guzman, who came to the Blue Jays in a trade, which I was not a huge fan in 1987. I think I was too young to be a fan. But I don't know how much Juan Guzman's arrival was really heralded when he was traded for Mike Sharperson. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine it was at all. I mean, I was obviously yeah. too young because I was three, and I had just turned three. <laughs> 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 but, you know, he was an A-ball. He, like, he was a 20-year-old in a ball and he had a 4.75 ERA, but he had 113 strikeouts in 110 innings. So these clearly the blue Jays were betting on the arm and Sharperson. He'd been a mediocre second baseman, which was, it's funny because like the Jays had all these great infielders during this time period. They just never were able to fill second base until obviously a player we're going to get too shortly. <laughs> <laughs> is there an important name at second base? that's coming up. I think there is. I absolutely think there is. Yeah, but Sharperson was a rookie in 87, and the Jays made that deal. And I don't really know. It's kind of surprising, considering the 87 Blue Jays were in it, that they were trading major leaguers for A-ball guys. But it obviously worked out. There was a scout somewhere who saw uh, something in Juan Guzman. And and legitimately, um, you know, it, it did turn out that Juan Guzman had a, a lot of talent uh, at a young age. Now, whether he, he managed to, you know, turn that into a long career, hmm different different deal entirely but that's not what mattered to the blue jays yeah so at some point pat gillick who is uh famous and and evidenced by this blank spreadsheet in front of me for several years in here is famous for not trading with other teams for developing within for scouting in the dominican for having an organization that's built a certain way uh decides that that getting eliminated either on the last day of the season or in the first round of the playoffs is just not going to cut it anymore. So he starts using those assets to get the team over the hump. So what's his first set of moves in 1990? So, I mean, this has to go down as maybe the greatest two winter days in Blue Jays history in a row. (laughs) I can't imagine doing better than this on any consecutive days. On December 4th, so this is at the winter meetings, back, by the way, back when, you know, the executives would just get drunk and make trades in the bar. <laughs> uh, it was a simpler time. Yeah. 
So the Blue Jays traded Junior Felix, who well, had developed some fame for the home run on his first pitch in the bigs. Luis Soho, Sue's serviceable middle leaguer, middle infielder. Middle, middle infielder, yes. <laughs> and a player to me in later, it was Ken Rivers. For Willie Fraser, Marcus Moore, and Devon White. Devon White, who had a penchant for striking out and was not, um, you know, I don't think anybody else would have batted Devon White leadoff, would they? I mean, you can make a case that the Blue Jays shouldn't have done that either, Oh, I could but... make that case all week. But I think um, Devon White, from a from a psychological standpoint, I would bet batting leadoff helped Devon White. Certainly didn't hurt him. Yeah, I mean, he went from being a guy who never had no base percentage above 306, and then his first season with the Blue Jays is 342. And I, I honestly believe that some guys are like, oh, I'm, I'm batting leadoff. I better, I better get on base. Now, how guys approach that, whether they're more patient or whether they are more aggressive about how they approach things, that, that, that remains to be seen. But maybe Devon White thought the way to get on base was to be more patient. Yeah, and a team going to get you obviously can make you feel good too, right? Like these guys wanted me to be their starting center fielder. And, you know, Wade's defensive reputation was well established by this point. But it's like, we're going to trade for you and we're going to put you at the top of our lineup. Like that's got to, it's got to do something for you, right? Yeah. So uh, Fred McGriff, this is day, now we go to day two of, of the two days. And Fred McGriff was the uh, franchise uh, home run leader in the previous season. And Tony Fernandez had been a cornerstone of the Blue Jays infield at shortstop since 1987, 1986. So these are two huge names. 85. 85. Massive names that Pat Gillick has determined is, is not the guys he needs to fill out his team. He does not need that shortstop or the star first baseman that is Fred McGriff. Um, But he does need a second baseman and he wants Joe Carter. Yeah, it's funny because like, uh, like, there's no argument that this trade worked out fantastically for the Blue Jays. By the time, if you think about it, it was an insane trade to make. John Olerud had, if I'm not mistaken, eight big league plate appearances and none in the minor leagues when this trade was made. And they hadn't signed Dave Winfield yet. Because <laughs> that, was, that was still another year away. Yep. So, and they traded Fred yeah. McGriff, who the prior season had hit 300 with 400 on base, a 530 slugging, including 35 bombs. He was the only Blue Jay to hit 300 in the starting lineup that year. I, yeah, remember, they traded, I remember looking at baseball cards and being sad about that when it really mattered to me who hit 300. Yeah, and they traded Tony Fernandez so that they could play Manuel Lee, who had hit 243 with a 288 on base and a 340 slugging at shortstop. Manuel Lee picked the right year to have his career year, but um, so on paper that trade is, it, I mean, to me at best it looks like a wash. I mean, yeah, so Andrew Arnold, who used to write for Baseball Perspectives Toronto wrote a piece on this about how insane this trade was because Joe Carter in 1990 hit 232 with a 290 on base percentage and a 391 slugging. I remember this era and no one cared about Carter's slugging or his on base percentage. All anybody cared about was Joe Carter's home runs and his RBI. Right. Well, the funny thing is, like, so the RBIs, I think, is what did it because he had 115 in 1990, but he only hit 24 home runs. So I don't know what caused this, <laughs> why they thought felt the need to trade McGriff and Fernandez. Maybe it was those drinks I was talking about. But my God, did this work out. Now, you could argue that what the Blue Jays got in the Fernandez for Alomar half was youth. Yeah. See, that part makes sense because, you know, Roberto Alomar was an all-star in 1990 for the, for, the, for the Padres. He was young. He was 22. So there was – I mean the, the upside there was enormous and everyone could see that, right? That made sense. But the original trade was a Griff for Carter. Which is – yeah, I don't understand that part either. Other than if you, if you absolutely in your heart of hearts believed John Olerud was 
going to be a guy with a 400 plus on base percentage walking into the big leagues with no minor league experience out of college. If you thought that that was it and you were sure about it, then the trade makes a lot more sense. But I do not know in a million years how Pat Gillick could be sure about that. Yeah, no, no. So you said Ulrich had eight at bats, but this trade happened after 1990. So he had 420 plate appearances in 1990. But do you still think, did he look like an everyday first baseman? Well, not by those metrics. By modern metrics, yeah, it's like a 364 on base. That's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't really know. But they obviously thought really highly of him. And that was that was admittedly, like Pat Gillick says, is like we wanted Ulrich to play first base. Yeah, and I think that's the the key part of of McGriff it, it has, and even Fernandez has has less to do with. I, I, would the Blue Jays have been able to find a second baseman who was as good as Manuel Lee was at shortstop? Do you know what I mean? Like maybe it was just the opportunity of okay, I can get a very young, very promising second baseman. I can fill in at shortstop with this guy I know I have for a couple of years. You know, it's know. funny that when we get to one of these next trades, we're going to mention a guy who turned out to be a really damn good second baseman. <laughs> Okay. Shall we move on to uh, now that all of that uh, got us to the beginning of the 1991 season with a team that looked like uh, maybe they would get over the hump here. Um, but but Pat Gillick did not stop adding. On June 27th, he made another trade to try and bolster the the uh, the playoff ready um, roster by getting rid of Denny Boucher. Glenn Allen Hill and Mark Witten, and that hurt me in my soul when it happened. And he got Tom Candiotti and Turner Ward back. Tom Candiotti being the key, the key uh, person in that trade. Yeah. So, I mean, Glenn Allen Hill and Mark Witten. I mean, every Blue Jays fan had heard about how great these guys were going to be for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But you know, we were talking about before, right? The Jays in the past when they were pushing for a postseason spot had traded for these aging veterans. And I specifically mentioned a knuckleballer, Phil Necro. Necro was 48. Tom Candiotti was 33. And at the time at a 224 ERA for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, yeah, that's, that's more in the wheelhouse of veteran who can help you not veteran who can barely not expire while he's on your team. <laughs> Yeah, like this This was a dramatic shift. Obviously, we'd seen it beforehand with that massive blockbuster trade to get Carter and Alomar. But now an in-season trading real assets in Hill and Witten for a guy who was playing at the top of his game as opposed to a guy who was just riding the bus and riding it out, right? Mm-hmm. Riding off in the sunset. That's the term. There I you go. One of these phrases will come. I'd also like to point out that Denny Boucher, at the time, there was a – a certain segment of the fan base that was very upset to see him go because he was a Canadian and B French Canadian and he got traded away. <laughs> it was like a betrayal to the, all the Expos fans who had come to like the Blue Jays while they were being good. Yep. And all of that. Oh, and one more trade that uh, I added onto the list here was Candy Maldonado um, for uh, a guy named Wisniewski. <laughs> That's not why I added <laughs> the trade. Your uncle? <laughs> no, no. And uh, and uh, William Suero. So, you know, C Candy Maldonado is, is not a, a non-entity on that team. Um, where did it go? Yeah. Yeah, I looked up Sam Dyson for some reason. Why did I do that? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, Candy Maldonado in 1991, he had a 375 on base, 446 slugging for the Blue Jays. Yeah, after they traded for him, he was fantastic. Yeah. And then in 1992, he did pretty much the same thing, except 357 and 462. Like, he's kind of, you look at his numbers right so back then young me you know because like you said the numbers that mattered he had 66 rbi 20 homers and he hit 270 yeah it's a real it's a really mediocre player but <laughs> no he was actually really good yeah he had an eight basically an 820 ops the whole time he was a blue jay after having a 684 ops in milwaukee that the same year in 1991 so he totally came into his own um as a blue jay yeah he was still he was a defensive train wreck but 
you know, that didn't really matter then. Apparently, you have Devon White. You can you can live with Carter and Maldonado in the corners. How how many left fielders have the Blue Jays been able to describe as a defensive train wreck in the history of the franchise? Most. Aha, you're onto something. <laughs> On playoff teams, how many defensive train wrecks left fielders have they have? Uh, uh, they did better there because they addressed those those holes before the playoffs. Just before the, the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, by the time they rolled into the playoffs in 1991, it looked like the team had been loaded up um, to the point where they went in against the Twins, and I thought they had a pretty good shot. And then, uh, you know, we won't go into the details of the series. Uh, suffice to say that they did not advance past the third round, uh, first round, rather, when there was only two rounds. Um, that did not change Pat Gillick's feeling about trades, though. No, yeah, he doubled down the next year. I mean, we were talking about adding guys in their prime. And I, I, meant, I alluded to the second baseman they traded away, Jeff Kent. In terms of long-term value, Jeff Kent, losing him was huge. But mm. they got David Cohn, who was arguably the best pitcher in the league. They traded Mr. Wright for Mr. Wright now. It sounds like a quote I've heard before. <laughs> I don't think it's about that trade. That was August 27, 1992. So that was right before the playoff deadline. Like that was that was a big shocker to trade the the uh, National League strikeout leader on to yeah. a, a playoff bound team. A trade at that time of that magnitude is crazy. Like how did that happen? How did the Jays get David Cohn at the end of August? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that there was a waiver, like a post waiver period. I don't remember how the rules worked at that time, but everyone was shocked that David Cohn had already passed through waivers and not been claimed by anyone at that point. And Jeff Kent. Same. So yeah, pretty wild. Um and I I would argue that in terms of getting them over the hump, David Cohn actually absolutely deserves in exclamation point or an asterisk or whatever you want for doing exactly what you need him to do not only getting you to the playoffs but in the playoffs yeah i mean this is a guy they traded for he had led the majors in strikeouts in 1990 in 1991 and he led it in 1992 <laughs> just keep throwing gas david yeah i think he did yeah he and he had that crazy mix of pitches i mean it was like this was not i mean adding tom candiotti right that was a a bold move because Candiotti was having a great season and he was a very good pitcher, but he was also a knuckleball guy and that hurt them. He just had one of his, as knuckleballers do, bad starts in the postseason. But when you get David Cohn, a guy who he just has this crazy assortment of pitches. So even if one thing isn't working, he's got five or six other ones to get you out and who's at the top of his game. It, I mean, it's, it's arguably, I would say, analogous to going to get you Darvish at the deadline. Better even, but yeah. But if for a for a guy who has that kind of you know flexibility, pitch repertoire, and and a great reputation, who you know, um, for everyone who, how did you feel about the Dodgers? It was the Dodgers going for you, right? Yep. Yeah. If you if you felt a certain way about the Dodgers going for you, and you weren't around when David Cohn came to the Blue Jays, that's kind of how it felt. Yeah, I mean, and as a Blue Jays fan too, like. Yeah, I mean, that's in terms of pitch comparison, that's really good. But it, it's this is like getting David Price. Yes. Two Davids. One, yes. One playoff appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Except David Cohn was good in the playoffs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry hurts sometimes. All right. So one more World Series era trade to talk about um, the Blue Jays getting what they needed when they needed it. Before we move on to admit that perhaps it hasn't all gone that well. Um, on the 31st of July, 1993, and that is, I believe, the very last day you can make this trade in this season and get him on the playoff roster. Steve Carse and the player to be named later, Jose Herrera, get traded for... Ricky Henderson. Who was uh, already the all-time stolen base leader. Yeah. <laughs> he still played for another 10 years. But... <laughs> This trade, I think we have to talk a little bit about because of how crazy the circumstances are around this. For those who somehow don't know, I mean, I shouldn't say somehow. This did happen you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But the Jays originally tried to get Randy Johnson. 
which is a not bad idea. Dude, no. <laughs> Randy Johnson led the major. He struck out 313 batters in 1993. Um, yeah, they tried to get Randy Johnson. Their pitching was the problem, right? The 1992 Jays, they added – they by getting Cone, they had an embarrassment of riches in the rotation to the point where they didn't start Jimmy Key in the ALCS. In 1993, pitching was the issue. So they went to get Randy Johnson and – for whatever reason, they, the story is that they couldn't reach Seattle or, or that Seattle was wavering on the deal. So the Jays traded Carse, who was the key piece in, in the offer, for Ricky Henderson. And then immediately after agreeing to that deal, caught a ball, got a callback from Seattle saying that they would trade Randy Johnson. <laughs> there are so many things in the modern era wrong with that sequence of events. I don't think someone born in the age of the cell phone could understand how ridiculous that that sequence sounds yeah there's no email no it's possible that somebody involved didn't even have an answering machine because there certainly was no voicemail yeah it's crazy that happened and that led to the jays getting ricky henderson which obviously worked out pretty well he wasn't that great for the blue jays but he got some big hits in the postseason so (laughs) i don't know if if carse was the end like to give up steve carse was not the end of the world at the time, he was like a guy, right? I mean, Steve Carsey, the fact that he was the key piece for Ricky Henderson and Randy Johnson tells you that he was viewed very well. He was a first-round pick of the Jays in 1990. And, you know, like Baseball America at the end of 1993 ranked him number 12. Which sounds great, but I don't think anybody's having Steve Carsey bobblehead day at the moment. So, no, as usual with pitchers, things didn't quite work out the way that we thought they would no and on that i'm gonna segue to things that we didn't work out quite the way they thought they would um these are these are mostly modern trades though i have added one um that i got directly from espn's website i will admit i do not remember this one specifically so we'll start i do the (laughs) oldest one which, which ESPN ranked the 30 worst deadline deal for all teams. And the Blue Jays' worst deadline deal of all time happened on July 28th of 1995 when they traded David Cohn the other way to the Yankees for Marty Jansen, Mike Gordon, and Jason Jarvis. Now, again, I all credit to ESPN. The Jays traded 22 future wins for negative half a win back. Okay, Cone was a pending free agent, so <laughs> it's not like they traded no future wins. Really, he was not going to sign back because they, the Blue Jays did not sign pitchers to three-year deals. Whose fault was that, Josh? Yeah, but that was. <laughs> yeah, but it was given. If that's the policy, then Pat Gillick's got to do this, right? Yeah. Was it still Gillick then? I think it was. Um, yeah. So, like Marty Jansen, I think, as I remember, was the guy that supposed to be like oh this guy's good marty jansen he's going to be something and he wasn't <laughs> i mean we're talking about like with steve carse right in baseball america jansen was like number 40 on their top prospect list which like you know for a pending free agent getting that guy and two other guys who are supposed to be somewhat decent jason jarvis was already in the bigs it's like okay, well, that's not a bad trade. It just, they all sucked. And David Cohn was David Cohn. <laughs> the question you have to ask, though, is of all the teams you could trade David Cohn to. And by the way, Jason Jarvis was not, never made the bigs. I had that backwards. Why would you trade him to the Yankees? Yeah. Well, that's a different thing altogether. And that makes me sad. <laughs> you know, it's funny because we, we didn't talk about the trades here, right? The way they, they got David Cohn back by trading for him before the season. Because he had signed a three-year deal with Kansas City after 1992, and they traded nothing to the Royals like on the first day of the season to get <laughs> David Cohn. Okay, and then that, the Jays finished. How the yeah. hell does that even make sense? I have no idea. I have no idea how you make a trade like that on April 6th. Like the Royals just but, decided they were going to throw in the towel and didn't want to pay David Cohn anymore. Basically. Okay. Right, that's the right reaction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they did. They traded nothing for him, and they got nothing when they traded him away. 
They just got to enjoy his company for four months. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I was wrong. I had my concept of the schedule screwed up because it was 1995 with the strike. Right. So the season didn't start until April 26th. So they have a spring training trade, but still crazy. Again, it was like the the, the Royals had given up already. Yeah, yeah. Or they just, because of the strike, trades weren't happening maybe. Maybe. They, they yeah. agreed to trade him back in December. Um, anyway, in okay. retrospect, it's a terrible trade because David Cohn went on to be awesome for the Yankees, even though he was a free agent and signed with them again. And those guys gave nothing to the Blue Jays. Moving up, 12th of December, 98th. Tell me what happened. So it's funny. Like At the time, this is another one where it's like, yeah, that's not bad. The Blue Jays traded Woody Williams, Carlos Almanzar, and Peter Tucci for Joey Hamilton. Hot prospect Joey Hamilton, wasn't he? Um, he'd played. He'd been a major leaguer for a few years at this point. Uh, and coming off 1997, he'd thrown 192 innings. He'd actually been over 200 the previous two years, sinker baller. And then – Actually, no, 217 innings after 19, in 1998. So he'd been a really good pitcher or a durable pitcher for four years. And then he was just awful for the Blue Jays. <laughs> just awful. And making like a lot of money for the time. So it hindered them in other areas. He, yeah, he posted a 6.52 ERA in his first year. Then he got hurt. And he pitched six games the next year and then was healthy in 2001 and had a 5.93 ERA. <laughs> there was no good news there at all. And then Woody Williams turned into a good pitcher for the Padres. Well, maybe he looked a little bit better than he was, but still better than Joey Hamilton. Yeah. The cavernous uh, confines of wherever the Padres were playing at the time, I'm sure, didn't hurt Woody Williams. Hey, he made an all team for the Cardinals, too. Nice for the Cardinals. All right. Yeah, we're going anyway, to gonna skip over a mystery trade to talk about it later. And we're going to go to uh, the 14th January 2001. This was the trade that pretty much ended my interest in following the Blue Jays. Did you know that? Have I told you that before? I did not. So you're going to have to read this one out. So the Blue Jays had uh, David Wells, longtime Blue Jay, um, and they traded him with uh, Matt DeWitt for Mike Williams, Kevin Bjorn, Brian Simmons, and a guy who was pitching for the White Sox called Mike Soroka. And what no one seemed to be aware of at the time was that Soroka was already injured. Yeah. And when the Blue Jays protested that the White Sox had not been forthcoming with that information and requested um, compensation... The Major League Baseball, long story short, told them to go pound salt. Yeah, this was really bad. I mean, so the the Jays, they were trading David Walls for a while. There was talks about whether it was going to be Glendon Rush that was going to be the key piece coming back. Um, yeah, so Mike, Mike Sorotka, when he being the guy, he was had an okay season for the White Sox the year before. I mean, pretty good year, actually. Pretty good couple years. And yeah. He was broken and then just like, no, nah, too bad. This guy came over with a torn rotator cuff and never pitched again. Mm-hmm. And he was traded for, you know, the Blue Jays' best pitcher. I mean, Dave Wells was great for the Blue Jays in the year 2000. And, and yeah, they got nothing. And Wells would continue to be great for the Yankees later, you know, as, as much as they made fun of him for being fat and everything else. I mean, Wells was was a workhorse. Um, and And I felt like, the Blue Jays basically were being punished for nothing at all for trying to get good value for a player and, and getting cheated out of, of a significant asset and major league baseball didn't give a crap. And I was like, well, they don't give a crap. (laughs) I, I wasn't like a hardcore fan at that point, but I was like, you know what? I got better things to do than watch my team get screwed over by not on the field, but by just that whole idea of, well, yeah, you didn't, you, you probably could have found out he was injured, but we don't care. I was just like, that's just, no, not for me. Uh, so we skip ahead eight years to a trade that um, was bad only, I guess, in one sense to me, but I agree. Roy Halladay, pending free agent. Who did the Blue Jays get back? Michael Taylor, who they immediately flipped for Brett Wallace, Kyle Drabeck, and Travis Darno. This is the ultimate gun-to-your-head trade. 
Yeah. So the trade is bad only because of the circumstances, as you're, as you're alluding to there. Like, Holiday was a pending free agent after the season. He had told the Blue Jays he would not sign an extension. And his agent had publicly said that if they went into the season, Holiday would invoke his no trade clause and had told the Blue Jays that he would only go to the Phillies. The gun was loaded, really. This is not a like a Russian roulette situation in the in the gun to your head. No, really. There's one in the chamber here. Either you pull the trigger on something right now and get whatever you can for the Phillies from the Phillies. Um and all the Phillies have to do at this point is make it look uh like they were paying attention. They don't really have to give you much at all. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Drabeck was supposed to be like a decent get, and Michael Taylor maybe kind of. Darno was actually the kind of the throw-in. <laughs> turned out to be the most valuable of all of them. Um, but yeah, it, it did not work. No. Uh, and again, that Brett Wallace was also flipped for Anthony Ghost. It was then flipped for Devin Travis. There's a lot of flipping. Um, and none of those guys managed to stick in the bigs for any particular period of time. I was pretty excited about, about Brett Wallace when I first heard about him. But apparently the guy who could really hit couldn't hit at all. So I was confused. Yeah. All right. Anyway, bad trade. Sad day. So um, do we want to talk about now? This one is, is we'll talk about this in isolation and then we'll come back to the other side of it. Mike Napoli for Frank Francisco. Yeah, so it is like you said. It is weird to talk about this in isolation. Would but you, technically, it was an isolated trade. Yes. Would you, in 2011, face value ever trade Mike Napoli for Frank Francisco yourself? No, it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Napoli kind of filled a need that the Jays really had, especially after the trade that preceded it. You know, he was a good hitter and he crushed left-handed pitching like that was his thing he'd always been able to hit he wasn't a great catcher but he could hit and i remember being thrilled that the jays got him in that trade let alone sending the contract away and then they immediately traded him for frank francisco who you know was a good reliever and the jays needed a closer but it wasn't great and then napoli ended up having the best season of his career the next season it looked Stupid on the surface, like weird stupid on the surface. And then it looked like a massive failure to assess talent um, immediately afterwards. L- like they thought Napoli was washed up for some inexplicable reason. And he just wasn't. And they also thought Frank Francisco was in his prime, which he uh, also wasn't. And he ended up, you know, he had problems like throwing chairs at fans. And like he was just a mess. And he was only there for one season. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about the flip side of that in a, in a bit. Uh, then the last sad trade is uh, 3rd of November, 2012. Yan Gomes leaves the organization uh, and he, he leaves with Mike Aviles because, you know, you need to give two people away to get Esmiel Rogers. Yeah, so they got Aviles for the manager. John Farrell. <laughs> the manager what a weird trade and yeah they traded for Esmeril Rogers because he had thrown 53 good innings in relief with Cleveland I don't get it I, <laughs> he'd never been good before that they traded for him because they wanted uh, the parent company for the Blue Jays wanted Rogers on the back of a jersey somewhere so they could do it every <laughs> single night well, that's an interesting conspiracy, theory, <laughs> but it makes more sense than the actual baseball move. I mean, no one really knew what Jan Gomes was then. There was no reason to expect he'd become the good catcher he's become, but it was still an asset. And Mike Avilas, who was a useful middle infielder. There, I said the right, word, right words this time. Good. <laughs> for a middle reliever who was a swing man who couldn't start. Uh, the fact that Jan Gomes had gone from a, an absolute hack uh, of a catcher and, and the Blue Jays have been unable to develop a catcher for the longest time unless you count J.P. Aaron Sibia um, and then have Yang Gomes turn into essentially an everyday player in Cleveland was overnight was, yeah was just like the, the the insult added to the injury yeah he became awesome in 2013 <laughs> because of reasons of course Josh yeah he would back to back four win seasons as a catcher 
Oh, my goodness. Okay, so uh, that's when it all went belly up for the Blue Jays, when they tried to get something for something. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with a, a couple of questions from you folks. And, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to finish on a highlight. How do you trade your way into the playoffs again? We'll be right back. And we are back. And we did get questions about trades because we actually thought maybe you guys had questions about trades. So for those of you who did, here is a stinger. Maybe not. Lies. <laughs> so many lies. Okay, everybody pretend there was a stinger there. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in post. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Uh, I'm hearing it Could right now. The okay. Question, please. question one from Jonathan Morton. Unpopular take, and this is about the trade we, we have not discussed. Uh, Loiza and Young was a reasonable trade that worked well in the short term. Gord Ash's real mistake was in extending Loiza and Young developed way beyond reasonable expectations, which should not be held against Gord Ash. What's your take on that take? Um, you know what? I'll, I will defer because I was not around to have an opinion at the time. I was not watching the Blue Jays. So... Michael Young was a fifth-round pick, you know, which is good but not amazing. But he immediately took to the minor leagues. In 1997, he hit 308 with a 392 on base, 493 slugging. 1998, 282, 354, 456. And then in Dunedin in 1999 for the half season – or sorry, no, for the full season, he hit – 313, 389, 428. So he had like really good seasons. And then he started out well enough in double A in 2000. So the idea that they didn't have an idea what he was going to become, I don't really buy that. Man, yeah, maybe they didn't think he was going to become, you know, what he was, leading, you know, a career average of 300 kind of guy. But the idea that he wasn't going to be a good player, I don't buy that. Fair and then Loiza, like they were two, they're one and a half games out. So making a move for Loiza made sense. But you know, I, I still think they deserve blame for giving up Michael Young. Tough, but fair. All right, minor leaguer. This is a difficult question. Asks, could you rank the five least important trades in Blue Jays history? So I did a thing that could be, sure. All right. Um, there are three trades where the Jays traded players that never played again for cash. Hunter Carnavalli in August 2014. Johan Pino in April 2011, and Cole Liniak came to Toronto, never played in the big leagues for cash. So I'd say those are very clearly along the bottom. All right. Second least consequential was Scott Cassidy to Boston for nothing. (laughs) Nothing? It was a conditional trade, and then whatever the condition was wasn't met, so they got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) That was April 18, 2004. And then by far, though, the most – inconsequential trade in Blue Jays history is Josh McDonald. No. Sorry, John McDonald. Yes. <laughs> getting traded on July 21st, 2005 for a player to be named later or cash. And then cash being traded for John McDonald. Say, the exact I, same amount. Can I guess the player's name who got traded back? But no, you go for it. it. John McDonald. Yeah. <laughs> player getting traded for the same amount of money that he gets that gets sent back for him is a player getting traded for himself and that is what happened the blue jays loaned john mcdonald to the tigers for the postseason run very strange but also completely inconsequential from the blue jays perspective so i'll buy that as the number one least important trade okay so on the good side of a bad follow-up trade we should talk about vernon wells for Mike Napoli and Juan Rivera. Now, Juan Rivera never amounted to anything here. Mike Napoli amounted to Frank Francisco. But the real key, key here is that the Blue Jays managed to not pay Vernon Wells like, what, $60 million? I think it was 80 maybe. But yeah, the getting out of this contract was stunning. I don't, underst- I don't understand how Anthopolis did this. So Vernon Wells signed a big deal, right? It was after 7-1-20. his month- 
his great 2006 season then immediately stopped playing well or playing healthy. And then randomly in 2010, he had a good season. Not a great one, but a good one. And the Angels thought that was the new Vernon Wells again. <laughs> and he traded for the last three years of the contract. This was a period in which the uh, the Angels also acquired Josh Hamilton and Albert Pujols. So <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying maybe uh, it was Artie Moreno was in charge. Yeah. Did not have the best judgment about what he needed to make his team great again. Uh, okay. So now we get into the real juicy modern era stuff, um, which the modern era, the road to the 2015 playoffs begins arguably with the two biggest bats in the lineup uh, being acquired first, which were Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion. So, uh, Edwin Encarnacion came the 31st of July, 2009, um, when Scott Rowland wanted out of Toronto. And in an impressive gun-to-your-head move, uh, not as much so, um, Alex Anthopoulos managed to get Zach Stewart, Josh Renneke, and Edwin Encarnacion. And if I remember rightly, Josh Renneke was the get in this trade. No, Stewart. Oh, it was Stewart as the starter? Yeah, yeah. He was the big prospect. Edwin Encarnacion was a guy who couldn't field at third and had some power. And there was like some contract stuff. It was like taking a little bit of money back and that worked out so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, number 2A uh, here, or 2B, sorry, uh, would be the most incredible steal in Blue Jays history. Robinson Diaz, a player to be named later, for some dude named Jose Bautista. A utility infielder for the Pirates. The, I mean, when you if you ever make a list of the best one-sided deals in baseball history, not even Blue Jays history, this has got to be up there. So, yeah, I mean, I, do we need to talk a great length about Jose Bautista? I think everybody knows who he is. But the fact that, you know, he did actually come and immediately become the Blue Jays' home run leader. That team was so starved for offense with like 13 of them. Um, but that wasn't the the guy who he turned into. Uh, I still think the Pirates are kicking themselves, even though he wasn't that guy, because they got no mileage out of Robinson Diaz whatsoever. Which is funny, because Diaz, at the time, was a good catcher in the minors. He'd been, like, hitting over 300 for multiple years, <laughs> and then just didn't do it ever again. So, here's one for you. Why is that trade that we talked about with Edwin Encarnacion technically uh, a lie about how he got to the Blue Jays? Because they let him go to the A's. Yep. And then the A's turned around and let him go again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The Oakland A's could have ridden uh, Edwin Encarnacion's success to the playoffs. But, hey, didn't happen. Okay. Next, if it's possible to build a team in less than two weeks um, with, with trades exclusively, Alex Anthopoulos was going to do it. So he on, tried. on the 19th of November of 2012, he sent Adiani Hecheveria, Anthony DiScalfini, Henderson Alvarez, Jake Marinsnik, Jeff Mathis, Justin Nicolino, and Yunel Escobar to the Florida Marlins for Mark Burley, Jose Reyes, Josh Johnson, and John Buck. All of whom had basically just signed to be free agents and had massively backloaded contracts. Then on December 12th, he decided he had not had enough trading, and he got rid of Noah Syndergaard, Travis Darnode, and Wilmer Bucarera, and John Buck for R.A. Dickey and Josh Tolle. Yeah, and sorry, Emilia Bonifacio was in that trade too. I forgot to put him on the list there. I think John um, Buck got mixed up in there somewhere, did he? Yeah, he kind of did. But <laughs> it was the, the most ridiculous trade. By the way, so Buck was in the deal. like they, But... He can't leave twice, though, can he? No, no, he came to Toronto. That's what you said. He was okay. part of the, the yeah, package sorry, coming yes. to the Blue Jays. Came on the they road. got him back because he had been a Blue Jay before and then right. signed a contract with the Marlins. But, but yeah, I just forgot to include Emilio Bonifacio on the list there. So I, I don't 
like they tried. And, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> the excitement around the team was huge after these deals. The Blue Jays were like six to one in Vegas to win the World Series, which is insane. Well, I mean, Ari Dickey was a Cy Young Award winner. Josh Johnson was Josh Johnson. Yeah, a guy on 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 his game at the time before injuries just wiped him out. Mark Burley was an absolute workhorse. Jose Reyes was an all-star and a, and a legendary shortstop, even though we rapidly discovered he should have been playing anywhere but shortstop. Um, yeah, there was there was all kinds of upside to these guys. Sorry, not upside, track records. All of these guys had great track records, and none of them were in their late 30s other than R.A. Dickey. And that actually kind of worked out. That's the one side of the, the you know, they got what they expected out of R.A. Dickey. Maybe a little worse, but close enough. Yeah. <laughs> like this, if you told me like going into the 2012 offseason, the Jays were going to enter the next season with a rotation that went Dickey, Josh Johnson, Burley, Ricky Romero, I would have been like, whoa. Like, <laughs> Sign me up. Alas, and you... they still had Jay Happ. Jay Happ went to the bullpen. Yeah. It turns out that that strategy of building a team from literally the shiniest parts that fell off of other teams for you is not necessarily a successful one. Yeah, it's funny. It ended up actually really being beneficial because some of those guys were huge parts of you know what they ended up doing. However, but... there's a counter argument to that that says um, Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darnode uh, in the long run, are certainly more than Ari Dickey and Josh Tolley ever were to the Blue Jays. You know what's funny? Because Noah Syndergaard just had Tommy John surgery. <laughs> Which Ari he's only got, couldn't. Yeah, because he didn't have a UCL. <laughs> <laughs> it could end up working out okay for the Blue Jays, even though know, like, Syndergaard has obviously still been great for the Mets. He got them to the World Series. So and the Jays never got there, but it it might not end up being as bad as it looked like it was going to be because Darno never really worked out for the Mets. They released him. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll leave that ridiculous mishmash um, to move on. One to- second, just before we leave it, I have to say this again because I mentioned it before. They did not have to trade Cindergard in this deal. They only did it because stupid Rogers wouldn't give them any more money. It's insane. There was a lot of hat-in-hand stuff going on at the time that we don't hear about so much anymore. I have a feeling there's a reason for that. Um, Okay, so in 2014, in a 27-day span, um, Alex Anthopoulos reimagined building a team (laughs) in in a very short period of time. He got Adam Lynn for Marco Estrada. All the way Um, around. Sorry, he got Marco Estrada for Adam Lynn. He traded that was heartbreaking for a lot of people who enjoyed Adam Lynn, the best uh, left-handed hitter that the Blue Jays had at the time for a guy who didn't seem to be all that great. But I think in the long run, uh, it was justified 100%. And then Brett Laurie, Canadian kid and folk hero, uh, also Monster Energy Drinks promoter, uh, was traded away with Franklin Barreto and Sean Nolan and Kendall Graveman for some, some weirdo named Josh Donaldson who nobody had heard of uh, in Toronto because he played in Oakland. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but... but you, you, Okay, you heard of Josh Donaldson and were excited. I guarantee you, I talked to a lot of people who are the most passing of fans. They did not know the day Josh Donaldson arrived who he was. I'm sure by the end of like May the following year, they were perfectly happy with who he was, but... I don't think – I think that the loss of Brett Laurie at the time was kind of like, well, Brett Laurie might be really good. Yeah. I mean I guess for really passing fans, that's probably true because most passing fans don't know teams and players and other teams in the division, let alone in the AL West. Mm-hmm. But Josh Johnson had been a top 10 MVP vote getter the previous two years. So anyone who was like a baseball fan, even if they weren't a great one, was well aware of what he'd been doing. We'll agree to disagree. But yes, uh, those are the people who buy tickets when the team starts winning, though. My, the people I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, that those people don't exist because there were tons of them, especially in Toronto. So that solidified the core of the Blue Jays lineup at that point. Donaldson, Encarnacion, Bautista. <laughs> so scary. Yeah. And, led, and that led to the do-over. 
Yeah, the very first do-over ever where uh, 140 home runs was estimated by Mr. Mike Wilder. Um, three players. Only slightly tongue-in-cheek. Uh, yeah, and he stood by it. He wasn't tongue-in-cheek. He just said a wrong number. And then it turned out to be not that far off. He could have said 120, and we would all have been like, ooh. And he would have been right. Yeah. Okay, so core is in place, but it turns out, as Pat Gillick learned, what, 20, 20 two years or whatever? Three years ago previous, this? Yeah. Uh, sometimes you need to do something to get over the hump. I will let you describe what getting over the hump in 2015 looked like. The most amazing time ever <laughs> over three days is the Blue Jay or four days. You know, like the, the first one when they traded Reyes, Miguel Castro, Jeff Hoffman, and Jesus Tinoco for Troy Tulowitzki and Latroy Hawkins was like the craziest time ever to be a Blue Jays fan on Twitter. <laughs> it was just unreal. Because it broke. It was like the Blue Jays have traded Jose Reyes to the – for to the Rockies and it's like for Troy to Lewitsky and they're just like wait what <laughs> just got Troy to Lewitsky and at the time it still looked like it might be future Hall of Famer Troy to Lewitsky yeah he was an all-star with the Rockies now the only person not happy about that as I recall or not you know 100% enthusiastic was Jose Bautista when they interview him he said it's you know it's great that we got another guy to lengthen the lineup but we were really hoping for some Pitching, essentially, not in so many words. People got a little bent out of shape when he expressed that opinion. Two days later, yeah, two, what happened? Yeah, two days later. Oh, David Price. <laughs> For Daniel Norris, Matt Boyd, and Hyrule Labor. And Hyrule Labor, nothing, but, you know, they gave up assets to get David Price because he's David Price. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My head exploded when we got David Price. Bits of yeah, brain I mean, everywhere. Getting those two guys, it's like they're – it, there were not two better players available on the market that year. I mean, some people at the time might have said Johnny Cueto because he was doing so well, but David Price ended up finishing second in the Cy Young, so it was David Price. <laughs> and I think the other part of that that was so astonishing was realizing that, no, the Yankees were not going to take David Price into the postseason. No, the Red Sox were not going to have Troy Tulitsky in their lineup. No, no, but those guys were gone. There was no one else for them to go get. Yeah. And then they even doubled down. They filled another hole in their bullpen, getting Mark Lowe, who was having an unreal season, and getting Ben Revere to finally have an actual outfielder playing left field. He had the range of an outfielder and the arm of a noodle. Yeah, like he wasn't a good outfielder, but he just was he was passable, which was miles ahead of what had been out there before when it was like Chris Colabella was out there and Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. But that's what they had to do to get themselves into the playoffs. And Again, we're not uh, we're not reviewing specific games on this this particular history of the Blue Jays, so we won't go into that. But the Blue Jays definitely had all of the parts t- to make that a real possibility. That you know, maybe a bit of bad luck, maybe uh, maybe just you know running into the wrong team at the wrong time is what cost them, um, you know, that that advancing to the World Series. But certainly, you couldn't fault a certain general manager for doing all of that. And then he just he walked right out the door afterwards. <laughs> yeah, which crazy. Well, that'll be another podcast down the line, like Blue Jays Management History or something. Indeed. So that pretty much takes us to the modern day. Are you happy with that? Yes, I'm happy with that. But you have a so, final thought, surely. I do. So because we talked about the Miguel Olival fund that Anthopolis did on his last on the last podcast to game the draft. Yes. I want to talk about another trade that happened in 1997, which didn't really do anything because the Jays were terrible for the next, you know, 15, 20 years, 17 years. They traded Mike Timlin and Paul Spoljarek for Jose Cruz Jr. So if we were the Mariners podcast and we were doing, <laughs> if we were doing like bad trades, we would have just talked about that 1997 deadline because, my goodness. <laughs> He traded away Jose Cruz Jr., who's the only switch hitter to ever hit 30 home runs for the Blue Jays twice. He was a very good player for two middle relievers. And then they traded Jason Veritek and Derek Lowe for a really bad closer who hadn't been good in three years and had an ERA of 5.79 at the time. Heathcliff Slocum, one yep. of my favorite names of baseball history. It's a good one. All right. 
truly a, a, a low point for the sister franchise of the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, I would like to get to a trade that in some ways might have made your list of top five least important trades in Blue Jays history. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, on on July, 7th, July 27th of 2011, the Blue Jays uh, acquired... Uh, sorry, that's the wrong way. Oh, no, the Blue Jays acquired... Colby Rasmus, Trevor Miller, Brian Tallett back, and PJ Walters uh, in exchange for Octavio Dotel, Mark Zipchinski, and Corey Patterson and Edwin Jackson. No, oh, that uh, going to something's wrong about the Edwin Does, Jackson. To the Cardinals. That. That's the right. Cardinals. Yeah, they flipped uh, Zach Stewart for Jackson and then sent right. Jackson that deal. Yeah. Um, that's what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There are eight names in that trade. And for the Blue Jays, they didn't really give up anything that they needed, and they didn't get anything significant in the long run. <laughs> like that's a lot of guys for. Eh, we got Colby Rasmus, kinda. Yeah, who who was like mediocre for the Blue Jays, which makes me really pained to say. You know, it's funny because if you're doing the Cardinals side of this, they won the World Series with these guys. Yeah, yeah. Mark Zepchinski was was the guy for them in the bullpen in a lot of cases after all that telephone problems. Um, yeah, and Edwin Jackson was a was a workhorse for them as a starter. But yeah, it was like for the Blue Jays, it was like we didn't need any of these guys because we weren't going anywhere. Oh, and we didn't get anything either. Great, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so complicated when it went down. It was like it's a three way trade. No, it's a trade immediately followed by another two way trade. But okay. Yeah. <sighs> I've never been so excited about a trade that did nothing. Yeah, totally. Sometimes you don't know, but I do know. Uh, that that brings us to the end of this podcast, which is to say that uh, you were Josh Houseman at Joshua Houseman, and I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and this was episode number 170 of the Artificial Turf Wars, and we will talk at you about some other random topic next week. Mm-hmm.